0: Live from the Battleborn Broadcast Center, it's Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield and Adam Candy, only on ESPN Las Vegas.
1: Yeah, 5709,000 is the number for Justin and Matt and the rest of the folks here at Battleborne Injury Lawyers. We're in their beautiful new studios. Justin Watkins will be in later in this hour to go over a bunch of different legal issues inside and out of the world of sports. We reset the show with some of the big headlines from around the world of sports. Let's do it.
0: It's time for The Three, presented by Nova Home Loans. Call now at 877-700-NOVA. Let's
1: get you updated. This isn't the the most breaking news, but uh, get you updated on what's going on around the Mountain West Conference with college basketball coaches. We were just talking about Coaches and players being treated differently, looked at differently when it comes to uh, mobility moving on. Well, Candy, you know, I was uh, speculating a couple weeks ago going into the Mountain West Conference Tournament, we could have upwards of five job openings in this conference. Some of it happened. Obviously, New Mexico was open at the time. San Jose was open. UNLV opened. You know, that was a prediction ahead of time saying that UNLV would probably open. But the other schools involved in this mix were San Diego State, Utah State, Colorado State, and Fresno. The logic there was Brian Dutcher could be going to Minnesota. If not Dutcher, it could be Craig Smith. If not Craig Smith, it could be Nico Medved going to Minnesota. Iowa State could look at Craig Smith and Medved. If San Diego State opened up, Justin Hudson could move on from Fresno State. And none of that happened. None of that happened. I think the biggest break is on the side of San Diego State. I think there were different forces around the Minnesota program in terms of who they wanted and what they were looking for in terms of a coach. So, Dutcher, with a, a special buyout number just for Minnesota, doesn't get the job, and it goes to a uh, a guy who played at Minnesota, had been an assistant at Minnesota, had worked at Xavier most recently, and Dutcher still at San Diego State. It's a freaking huge coup because at 62 years old, I don't see – him leaving to go anywhere else,
2: and if I'm Brian Dutcher, that is just not the worst thing in the world. If I could stay at San Diego State and ride out my career as what is right now the clear, clear class of Mountain West basketball, and probably not likely to change anytime soon, then I'd be fine with that. If I were Brian Dutcher, and again, and Steve, I, I don't, I know these decisions don't get made off one game. I do think it would have been very difficult to sell to the Minnesota fan base after watching what happened to San Diego State in the tournament against Syracuse to say, hey guys, that's our man because San Diego State looked as poorly coached as any team I saw in the NCAA tournament in how they attacked Syracuse zone. So obviously, like you said, much bigger factors at work, but I also think PR wise, it would have been a very tough sell coming off that game. Well.
1: I hate to tell you, but Ben Johnson so far, the new coach has been a pretty hard sell, too. Yeah, well. Minnesota, like every program, just like UNLV, just like every program around the country has their list of, like, six recognizable names, and they're all fired up to get those candidates. And then when someone who's a little lesser known, and Johnson certainly seems to have the qualifications, um, you know, to to do a good job, he's earned the job there. Um, on the recruiting trail now, it's really interesting with Minnesota, you um, Man, this is such a weird position. Otzerberger was in this position. Uh, so was Marvin Menzies. When you come into a new job and there are a couple of local stars who are like 98% dedicated to going out of the area, and then you come in and you're like, in the case of Minnesota, the number one player in the country is a kid named uh, Chet Holmberg, who's like seven foot, 145. He's the skinniest dude ever, but just incredibly skilled. Well, the recruiting process is almost done, but now this guy's got to go in there and, you know, it's like, Hey, rah, rah, almost like you, you feel like they would have to ask the kid, like, hey, just kind of, you know, can you just put us on the list and act like, you know, we're in the final five, please. Um, he's up against it because it's way too late in the process.
2: You got to get that kid's social media manager with all the fancy graphics they make about who's still in consideration for what's going to go up on Instagram. You got to just slide them 100 to be like, listen, can you just throw our logo in there? Like, I know we're not really in the mix here, but can you just throw the logo in and make people believe so we can say that we were in on this? Because the other thing you're fighting is the most obvious factor in the world for anybody who ever went to college. They want to leave. They want to go somewhere. They want to spread their wings and be a college kid and get out of town. How many times do you talk to a kid who is like, yeah, I just wanted to see what life was like somewhere else. So it's a hard situation for that coach yeah. fighting fighting that piece and the fact that a name like a Kentucky, a Kansas, uh Gonzaga is going to be a lot harder to beat.
1: Oh, look at you. Throwing it in at the end. Yes, my, my dream as a Minnesota prep would be like, you know, I want to change things up. My ideal spot is Spokane, Washington. Wait, what? Uh, that's the territory Gonzaga is playing in now, the same as Duke and Kentucky and hometown schools like Minnesota. Man, that's tough to get players when you're in that category. I just wonder how Gonzaga is doing it. Uh, Mike Romala had a mention of a uh, point guard potential recruit. What did you think of this? The uh, Well, they, need, they have a need at the position. They have a need at the position. Uh, the other list of schools on the list – They're not going against, you know, true blue bloods here. So can they get them?
2: I'm going to ask you that question right back. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read you the list of schools that are on this young man's list as he considers transferring out of another one of these. uh, What would you call it? Would you call North Dakota a hotbed of basketball? Uh, So here are the other schools under consideration. And I'm not going to say the young man's name because I'm going to screw it up. Tyree, I'm going to try it anyway. Iconacho, best I can do. Uh, Other schools under consideration, St. John's, Drake, Montana, Pacific, Southern Illinois, Western Michigan, along with UNLV. Is there anyone on that list, Cofield, that you think should be an obvious competitor in terms of brand name along with UNLV?
1: I think St. John's still has a brand name, and I think if you know basketball, Drake has a brand name, but yeah, um, UNLV, should be able to win this battle. And it sounds like it's a good player to get. The uh, Summit Freshman of the Year, he's a bigger point guard. Uh, but here's the other thing. I'm not going to say it's a guaranteed land for Kevin Kruger and company because I also don't know this guy's, the player's relationships. So, I mean, if you look back uh, a couple of years ago and you're like, "Yeah, hey, there's no way David Jenkins is going to UNLV. Look at the rest of this list. I mean, sometimes there are relationships that we don't know about. But uh, it's definitely a position of need. Let's uh, let's check in on that and much more around college basketball, including some picks and breakdowns of the Sweet 16. Is uh, Coach Joe? Coach Joe is on the way. Our college basketball insider.
0: Nova Home Loans brings you the three. It's a refi raid at Nova Home Loans with interest rates at all time lows. Now's the time to talk to your local Nova loan officer. 877 700 Nova. And here comes Peterson. Open look. Bonk, Polo, kaboom. Wow. <laughs> this team is clicking
2: on all cylinders, birds.
0: It's time for Coach Joe Knows on Cofield and Company.
1: One of the surprises, and eh, not really if you watch college basketball all year long, that was CBS, uh, Iron Eagle, and Grant Hill on the call, USC achieving. At a high level. It was interesting uh, today, Candy, on the way over, I was listening to a little ESPNU radio. Nice product on Sirius XM. And uh, Dan Dockich and uh, Mark Packer were uh, admitting that they simply had not watched enough Pac-12 basketball this year. And and then they threw out, hey, we all underestimated the Pac-12. We didn't underestimate anything out here. We watch West Coast basketball. People in the Midwest, the South, and the Northeast need to stop or need to start watching more. Joe Esposito is with us. Joe, am I right? Is there uh, too little information out there in terms of uh, knowledge from uh, media people in other areas of the country when it comes to the Pac-12? Stay up and watch the games, Joe. Well, that's the biggest
3: part of it is stay up and watch the games. When I was living out in the East, it was hard to watch those games. It was late at night. I didn't start watching the games until Marvin got to UNLV because I had a reason to watch my buddy. And then, you know, you don't really watch those games. Nobody knows what's going on. But when you live out here in the West, now that I'm a West Coast guy – Man, I'll tell you, there's some good basketball out here. But I think a lot had to do with Arizona saying they're not going to be in the tournament this year. All the violations that they're waiting to find out about. You know, Arizona State having a bad year. Um, you know, the whole league in general. When you look at it, you know, the whole league in general. Nobody had a winning record against quad one teams. I mean, it really was kind of surprising to see what the Pac-12 done. But there are some great basketball teams, and, and USC is definitely one of them.
2: That USC team. Let's talk a little bit more about Joe because I think everybody looks at Evan Mobley and sees, you know, the the wonder kid, right? The kid who can do just about everything. But they have more talent than that.
3: They do. They have a lot of talent. You know, they got a guy on their team that was supposed to play for us at UNLV, uh, uh, Ethan Anderson. So I've watched a lot of their games. You know, they got a great coach. They do a real good job. They got a good system. They believe in each other. Um, and they, to me, they're the most impressive team in the Pac-12, because they beat a pretty good Wichita State team, and then they beat the Daylights out of Kansas. And now, granted, Kansas is not the same Kansas as it's been in the past, but those were pretty good, solid wins. And then you can't forget about Oregon State. I mean, Oregon State, they had to beat Tennessee and Oklahoma State. No one thought that was possible. They're a 16-12 and team. So, seeing UCLA in there, you know, they were up and down all year, but they... Got so lucky that Abilene Christian knocked off Texas, and they had a break there. And then Oregon had the biggest break of all. VCU can't play. They were licking the handrails, and uh, they get the COVID, and they had more time to prepare for Iowa, and you could really see that uh, they were on top of those boys big time, and I think that was their advantage. So USC and Oregon State, I think, were the most impressive wins out of that league, and they definitely deserve to be where they are in the Sweet Sixteen.
2: So now we're in the Sweet 16. We got all these teams that we didn't expect to be here. A couple of them are going to square off against each other. Who do you think is going to be able to go the farthest?
3: Well, you know, we did expect some of them because we did talk the other day. Last week, we talked about what teams could win the, t- the tournament. You know, and I had a formula that I told you about the top 25 offensive efficiency team and the top 40 defensive efficiency has been the winning team 18 straight years, except for one when UConn did it. Well, that list I gave you, there's still four teams alive. That's Gonzaga, Baylor, Houston, and believe it or not, Loyola, Chicago. Those teams are all top-efficiency teams in the country, Gonzaga being number one and Baylor being number two, and they do it on the defensive end, and Gonzaga being number 11, Baylor 22, and that Houston team, hey, they may surprise a lot of people. They're a really, really good team. Offensive efficiency sitting at five, defensive efficiency is at Three, they're going to be close. I mean, they got a chance. They got a chance. You have to beat uh, Baylor to get there. I'm still going with Gonzaga and Baylor, and I'm still going with Baylor to win it all, like I have been talking about for the last two years.
2: Joe, we know that uh, every fan in Las Vegas wants to be right where those teams are right now. So, what are the challenges when Kevin Kruger comes in, brand new coach? into the program take us through what it's like when you're coming in as a brand new staff the things you got to do to get up to speed and you know now you're in the middle of doing all the recruiting and you're dealing with everything else as you try to get started
3: well you know i've been there you know when we took over at minnesota we took over at uh, texas tech um you know all those programs memphis whatever it may be you know you got to go in there and the first thing i do is got to re-recruit the guys that are there the good thing for Kevin Kruger is he knows the guys that are there. He recruited some of the guys that are there. They know who he is. So you should not see a lot of movement on that, on that roster. Those guys know him. I'm sure they feel comfortable with him. He's an easy guy to get along with. And now he's the head coach. Obviously, his role is going to change. He's now going to be making the decisions. However, he has a relationship with those young people. So I think you won't see a lot of movement there. The first thing he's got to do is get on that portal. There's some great guys in that portal. There's some great players that play at Oral Roberts and uh, North Texas and Abilene Christian that would want to go to a different school, maybe, or a school that's got more prestige. Um, not just saying UNLV, but I'm talking about all the, the big time schools. When I mean, they're going to start plucking teams, and people are saying, well, is there hope for these mid major teams? You know, you're seeing these mid major teams get in there um, this year in the Sweet 16, which has really never happened as much as this year. Obviously, it's different circumstances, but. I would be more worried about teams getting plucked. You know, they're taking guys off the rosters. Teams have played well. The two brothers up in eastern Washington. I mean, who's to say some team won't come in there and say, we got this opportunity, we have more resources, why not come play for us? So it's going to be interesting, especially that these guys are getting a year back and that so many of these mid-major schools have done so well in this tournament. Joe,
1: gut feeling, or maybe you're hearing something on this, what do you think will happen with Bryce Hamilton, and David Jenkins, Jenkins obviously with the uh, well had close ties. I'm not sure where the relationship is now, but had ties with Otts uh, both here at UNLV and back at South Dakota State. What are you hearing about those two guys? Anything?
3: I'm not really hearing too much except that uh, I think they should just stay put. They should, you know, they they should be there and and help Coach Krueger get going. I mean, I mean, I, I I think he's gonna have to sell those guys to stay. He needs those guys to stay. I think they'll really help the program. I think Bryce, you know, he tailed off there at the end, but. He's somebody that's definitely got the ability, can score. And then Jenkins got the experience. I mean, I think he's got to hang out with those guys. I would hang out to Mbake. I would try to keep those guys all together and then try to bring in some pieces, try to bring in some people that can help right away. I think they need a, you know, a, a real good, solid point guard that can get those guys the ball, move Jenkins over the wing, and I think they'll be fine. So it's going to be exciting to see what he does. He knows how to win there. He's been there. He's been on the team. He's been a coach there. If anybody knows the program, uh, he definitely knows it. He knows what it's going to take to win.
1: Uh, interesting to see uh, just a few hours ago that Donovan Yap, one of the freshmen who didn't get a lot of playing time this year, a three-star who uh, you know was part of that whole "ots build the fence around Las Vegas." He's in the transfer portal. Don't know if that's his choice. Don't know if uh, he uh, you know if he was told you know what, you're just not going to play. Um, so that one, that one kind of sucks. But here's the thing with the transfer portal too: it doesn't mean that they're absolutely gone.
3: Right, right, it doesn't. They just go out there and they're filling the waters, but it does put your coach, your current coach in a tough situation. You know, when you think about it, if a guy goes in a transfer portal and I'm sitting there and wondering if he's going to come back or not and he's out there fishing fishing for another school, it's like putting my wife in a transfer portal. I mean, I'm not going to put her in a transfer portal. I mean, just think about it. You want other people trying to date your wife and you're going to lose her and she's going to transfer? If somebody goes in a transfer portal, to me, if they don't want to be there and they're in there They need to go. I I don't agree with playing that that game where let me see what offers are out there. That doesn't work for me. I learned that from Tubby Smith when I was with him for 12 years. If you're not happy where we're at, you need to go. And then whenever he would come in and a young man would come into the office and say, oh, I'm thinking about transferring. Oh, no, you're not thinking. There's the door. It's over. You don't have to think anymore.
2: So yesterday – Coach, we had uh, Desiree Reed-Francois was on the program and talking about the fact that she had a sense probably around mid-February or so that TJ Otzelberger was going to go. They had conversations uh, about it. There was a dream job for him to go back to Iowa State. And I said earlier in the show that I feel like the players should know that, that that's a possibility. Like, is that the sort of thing you've ever heard a coach talk about with players that if he's thinking about going somewhere or do players ever ask a coach if they hear something or see it on TV, like, hey, coach, what's up? Is that something that ever is a discussion inside a program?
3: You know, I think sometimes, uh, you know, players will come forward and say, coach, we hear this, we hear this possible rumor. And I think all coaches are going to just nip that in the bud and say, no, I'm here. It's just like you get that question, every living room I've ever sat in, Every single home visit I've ever done for 30 years, they're going to say, Coach, what's your plan? You know, how long are you going to stay here? Um, I can remember so many times a player would say that. And then, you know, coaches, they leave. Coaches get fired. I mean, it happens all the time. But, um, you know, with TJ, it was kind of an interesting deal. Everyone kind of knew that he had a relationship with the athletic director up there. um, And maybe it should have been known on the front end um, before they hired him, like, Well, this guy is next in line at Iowa State. That coach isn't doing so well. They're starting to tail off. You know, maybe we'll lose him. we got to find a guy that's going to be a lifer. Kevin Kruger stood up there and said, this is his dream job. He's not going to – it's not going to be a stepping stone job for him. So, to me, that's the hire you want to make. You don't want to take that chance to say all that stuff about, oh, we're happy when people come and talk to our guys and all this other stuff because, come on, UNLV is not a stepping stone job. UNLV is the stone. He's standing right there on the stone. It's not a job like that. It's not a mid-major job where guys will move up like you're going to see. The guy at Abilene Christian could probably get a job right now. The guy at North Texas could probably get a good job right now. It's not that kind of job. UNLV is as close as you can get to a Power 5. They have the resources. They have the program. He's on the stone. He's not going anywhere. To say all that other stuff is garbage to me.
1: Joe Esposito's with us. Bring it strong, Joe. Bring it strong. All right, let's get some picks out of you. Uh, first of all, you got anything in the uh, Midwest? Oregon State is plus six and a half against Loyola. Syracuse plus six against the Houston Cougars.
3: Well, I'm looking right there. I'm going with Loyola, and I'll take the minus six and a half. Loyola, I think, is a good bet there. Now, in the Houston game, I like Houston straight up, but it's six points to me going against that defense. If Buddy Ball gets going, making them threes for Syracuse, I think they can keep it around six. I would take the points and go at Syracuse.
1: Uh, Baylor favored in the South against Villanova and oral Roberts, a long shot against Arkansas.
3: Yeah, I think no question. I think Baylor is definitely going to win that game. And I think that's the best bet of all six and a half points. I think they're going to beat up on uh, Villanova pretty good. They're stronger. They're more physical. They're quicker at the guards. Villanova's got the young, young guy out, the guard out. I think Baylor, that's a great pick. And as far as Arkansas and Oral Roberts, Arkansas, I think will win the game. But plus 11.5 in a sweet 16 game, I'm going to take the 11.5 and, and Goldall to all Roberts. They've got the nation's leading scorer, Mac Abrams. They've got uh, Kevin O'Banner. I mean, I think they can score points. I don't think they lose that game by 11.5 points.
1: Does Gonzaga destroy Creighton as they're laying upwards of 13.5? And, and then you got a pretty even matchup. Uh, USC is a slight favorite over the Oregon Ducks.
3: Same thing there. You know, obviously, I think Gonzaga is going to win a game, but can they win it by 13.5? I mean, that's a lot of points, and Creighton shoots the three ball. I'm taking Creighton in a point. I mean, I think Gonzaga is going to win a game, no question. If I'm going straight up, I'm taking Gonzaga, no question, but I think 13.5 and a, half's a lot. It's a sweet 16. I'll take the 13.5 anytime. And then also, USC, I think straight up, minus 2.5 against Oregon. I think USC is going to win that. I think they got a lot of momentum right now, and I think they're going to win that game.
1: Boy, wouldn't that be amazing if Amari Hardy and the Ducks and my guy Eugene, and Eugene, where you from uh, Rutgers if they made it to the Final Four, uh, transferring in, just like LJ Figueroa from St. John's?
3: No, no question. Just think about it. Three guys that played for us at UNLV could be, they're in the Sweet 16 right now, so I think yeah. it's pretty cool. JTT. Uh,
1: best semifinal set of games, probably Michigan 3 against Florida State and UCLA, plus 5.5 against
3: Alabama. Great games, no question about it. I'm leaning on Florida State. I think Florida State plays better defense and offense combined. You know, Michigan was 18-1 and at one time. They lost three of their last five. I mean, they've got to get back on track. They had a solid win against LSU. I don't think they can play with Florida State. For some reason, I just like the Florida State team. There's no superstar. There's no name anybody's talking about. There's just a bunch of solid, hard-nosed guys that play hard. He plays a 10-man rotation. Both games he held the team under 55. Take Florida State and give the three points. And then Alabama, UCLA, you know, Alabama, they beat Michigan State. It was great. They beat B. White. Then they play Abilene Christian. I mean, have they really been tested, tested? I don't know. Michigan State gave them that game. Took two bad shots late in the game. It was crazy. But I'm going to go ahead and take Alabama and the minus five. And I really think that's probably the second best bet behind the Baylor bet.
1: Joe, I got 90 seconds left. I want to come full circle and talk about how the tournament's gone so far. The Big Ten flopped one team into the Sweet 16, nine teams in overall. Your guy Dan Dokic was on uh, satellite radio today. And, you know, he's a loudmouth and ego maniac and kind of a jackass at times. But he did have a good theory on the Big Ten uh, that I was buying into that the Big Ten coaches simply don't pride scoring enough. They're so into Rough and tough and defense and the discipline of like, hey, you miss an assignment on one play, you're out of the game. And uh, doctors are saying, hey, you know, they they got to put their egos aside here, and you got to get to a point where all these programs, their goal is to score 72 points a game, 74 points a game, not reside in the 50s. When you get to the these teams can score, especially in the Pac-12,
3: they they put a premium on scoring. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I definitely do. Being in the Big in the Big Ten and the Big 12 and, and being in those leagues, the Big Ten definitely was a physical league, and they're a league that's going to beat each other up. you know, you got to remember now, there's not a lot of easy games in that league. Uh, Nebraska was bringing up their rear, and even Northwestern, who beat a few people, Minnesota. But after that, every game's a tough game, and they're pounding each other night in and night out. They're not getting a lot of scoring like you would in some other leagues. But I think that's the biggest thing. But when you really look at it, The teams that got knocked out, they got knocked out by pretty good teams. Wisconsin lost to Baylor. I mean, come on. Maryland lose to Alabama. Rutgers lose to Houston, who's been having a great year. I mean, Michigan State, who probably shouldn't have been there anyway, lost to UCLA. It wasn't like they lost to easy teams. Um, Now, Purdue did. Purdue losing first round, and Ohio State losing Oral Roberts, who's pretty hot right now. But in Illinois, those are the three teams that I think lost to teams that were inferior. But the other ones that got whacked, I think they lost to a better team. In um, the Big 12, same thing. I mean, most of those games went the way you thought they would go, except for Texas losing. Abilene Christian was a bad loss, and Oklahoma State losing Oregon State. But the other games, Oklahoma's not beating Gonzaga, Texas Tech up and down. They weren't going to beat Arkansas at the end there, and Kansas getting blown by USC, who's another really good team. Disappointing for the big boys, the Big Ten, the Big 12. But uh, hey, that's why we love this game. You never know what can happen on any night, and uh, this last freaking two weeks is going to be. Awesome. And don't forget about the NIT. you got two Mountain West teams still alive. If they both win, they can play each other to go on. I don't think anybody cares about the NIT this year because this tournament's been so exciting. But it's good for the Mountain West.
1: Thanks, Joe. You're the man. All right, buddy. Take care.
0: Coming up next, ESPN Las Vegas legal analyst Justin Watkins joins Cofield and & Company in Studio to break down the biggest legal stories in the world of sports. It's time for ESPN Las Vegas legal insider Justin Watkins to lay down the law. Only on Cofield & Company.
1: We got Adam Candy here in the uh, Battleborn Broadcast Center. Brand new studios. Justin Watkins, our legal insider. You just heard it is along with us. What's going on?
4: Just getting ready for uh, Oregon State to be in the Sweet 16 for the first time in my life. So that's nice. I forgot
1: all about that. I forgot all about that. I didn't want to bring back the pain of my school Blowing a nine-point lead with four minutes left. Oh, I bet on we, Rutgers too. We should have been with you. So now I have to now I have to live out the Sweet Sixteen through your uh, Beavers. I, you know,
4: the Rutgers blew a four-team parlay that I had. No, <laughs> yeah, they did I, on money line. I had them money line, Oregon State money line. Um, I can't remember which other two dogs I had on money line, um, but they were. I'm sure they were. Oh, UCLA, which I doubled up on that uh, Adam Hill bet from the podcast. And and another Pac-12. Pac-12 has really come through for me on the bets this, this year. too. Yeah. Developing, I'm not going to say degenerate gambler. No. Wise guy. <laughs> Maybe not that much. I, ne- neither. If you saw the amount of money I'm putting on these bets, you would just be like, what what, what are you doing right now? Really? Yeah, but nothing. I, oh, okay. Uh, yeah. I, thought you were, I thought you were overdoing it. You oh, did, you no, need, no,
1: You needed to go to a little treatment center.
4: No. <laughs> 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 no, no, no. It's so little amounts that you'd just be like, what's the point here? Uh, Candy, let's uh,
1: let's talk about the NFL news and, uh, you know, talk about it with Justin Watkins here on Mariota. So you were a bit alarmed about 30 minutes ago when this came down from uh, Greg Bedard.
2: Well, I found it very interesting that you renegotiate the Mariota contract to be able to facilitate whatever else it is you want to do with the salary cap and keep them around. But as part of that, according to Greg Bedard, uh, Marcus Mariota got a no trade clause. Which doesn't necessarily mean he can't be traded, but it does mean that Marcus Mariota has veto power over any trade that the Raiders would want to be able to use him in. And uh, our friend Adam Hill was pretty adamant about the fact that having the ability to trade Mariota was one of the best parts of restructuring.
1: Yep, yep. This is. Does it feel weird the way Mariota's contracts have gone these two years? First of all, he got he got seventeen mil in you know in name in contract last year. As we found out when they tried to trade him, uh, the deal was built with a, bu- a bunch of escalators. So other teams were like, yeah, we're not paying Mariota, whatever, like $22 million a year. Then he renegotiates, and now he's got a trade clause. How many backup quarterbacks have no trade clauses?
4: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't I don't really understand it either other than to say maybe this is the first domino to fall in a series of dominoes. Uh, I don't know. It It seems weird to be so adamant about holding on to a backup quarterback in that way. I'll, I'll say, you know, (laughs) you know, when I was, uh, when I was talking to you guys, uh, on the podcast about the, my golf outing during that rain, sleet, snowstorm that we had, Mm -hmm. the only other person on the course was Marcus Mariota. Is that right? Yeah. He's building a house as I understand it, (laughs) building a house up in, uh, McDonald Highlands, which I also thought was,
1: you know, doesn't really help
4: in your renegotiation. (laughs) Hey, Marcus, how about you take uh, uh, 1 million?
1: Yeah, you're building a house here. Obviously, you're staying. Yep. Or
4: have the Raiders told him, you know what? You're going to be here a long, long time, my friend. That's what I thought. And then I saw this news, and I'm yeah. like, maybe he knew. Maybe he knew. You know, I'm going to be here for a while. All right. Justin Watkins,
1: our ESPN Las Vegas legal insider, Battle Injury Lawyers, 570-9000. All right. Um, boy, to be involved in this case, and it's at the very front end, Deshaun Watson, this is this is crazy. Crazy stuff going down. So first, let's talk about the uh, the allegations and the numbers here of uh, women coming forward saying, hey, Deshaun Watson
4: is more than a dirtbag. I could talk about this series of of lawsuits and the backdrop behind it for hours. I really could, because it, it, it's pretty fascinating. But what we have right now is we've got 16 lawsuits. I've, I've read every one of them. Um, and there is some things that give me pause, and there's some things that I think are, are really troubling. Um, so let's start with what's really troubling. The numbers are troubling. We got 16 people with an allegation that there's at least six more coming down the pipeline to be up upwards of 20, 22. Uh, those sheer numbers seem to add credibility to the allegations. Um, there seems to be, according to the allegations, a modus operandi here. He contacts every one of the masseuses through Instagram. Um, which doesn't seem to be, I, I would think, a normal way to schedule a massage. So if that's true, if there is a a, a way and a method of which he does this every single time, that means that evidence is going to come into play in each of the lawsuits. You normally wouldn't be able to say, well, look, there is another lawsuit over here that's alleging he did the same thing prior bad acts are not admissible to prove that the bad act happened in your case there is an exception to that and the exception is modus operandi which is a pattern of action so all these other women had the same pattern of the allegation and so therefore i get to bring in all of their allegations into mine to prove that i'm telling the truth so that's those are what's gives me concern uh, about the validity and the actions of what happened and obviously the victims or the alleged victims on the other side what leads me to give some pause as to whether or not these are all valid is the manner in which they've been rolled out and that's twofold one um they didn't go to any uh law enforcement agencies before they filed suit they filed suit and then held a press conference, which typically to me is I see it as a recruiting mechanism um, to get more potential cases rather than actually for the benefit of of any one person. Um, and then I would just say that. I have crafted these types of lawsuits. I have done sexual assault civil actions before. The way in which I read these allegations are vague in certain respects and jump in time so that there is never a discussion, except for in one lawsuit, Mm -hmm. there is not a discussion about consent. It it does not say that the person refused. It does not say that they were asked. It It just leaps over that issue. And that to me, from my experience, That's the number one thing, right? That when we craft a lawsuit on a sexual assault case, we know they're gonna say it was consensual. And so in the complaint, I'm gonna address that issue head on and say, did not consent to this and here's why. Either verbally, either physically, or was prevented from consenting because of the circumstances. The allegation here, as far as I could tell is, he's a big physically imposing person and so that there was a threat. Normally, I don't think that's going to fly. It would be boss, you know, employee, um, somebody in power over the other person. So so I, I really am interested to see where this all goes because I don't have a really good feel right now based on what I see as to, you know, what is the actual truth here and where it's going to go.
1: What do you think when you saw um- – developing uh, media attorney, not for the media, but, uh, you know, on podcasts. We've had him on before. Dan Lust, who's in the uh, Northeast, he said, don't judge lawyers from the actions of Tony Busby. He's the the lawyer for the uh, folks making the allegations against Sean Watson. He says uh, he's not making the profession look good with uh, half-truths and certainly not doing his clients any favors by torching his own credibility. Are you seeing that? I saw that,
4: and what, he's, what I believe he's referring to is he's really laying this all out in the media in a – reality show type manner Mm -hmm. which is like hey i've got a i've got a new lawsuit coming out wednesday and wait till you see what i do on thursday and another one's coming on friday biggest one yet and and then in in his instagram post and in his social media or twitter post he says that um he's working with uh the houston police department and that there's a criminal investigation going on to which houston police department responded said no that's not true so, so let me, let me break in. In the, in the long run, let's let,
1: I don't know how this is going to turn out when an attorney does that. Does it actually hurt the cause of women overall in bringing, you know, sexual assault cases? If they see a high profile one like this and this thing unravels and the guy's making it into a, a big circus. Cause again, like you want to believe women, right? You do, you want to listen because these things do happen often.
4: But think- is this attorney doing a disservice to all women? I, I think it's a disservice. It, it can be a disservice to the entire movement if you make false allegations in any way tied to these sort of sexual assault claims, whether it's the alleged victim making a false claim or their attorney making a false claim, because eventually if enough of that happens and and you know what I'm going to say eventually it does. It, we have reached a point now where this sometimes does happen where. The public as a whole does not say anymore, we must believe victims. They say, well, let's wait and see. And, um, you know, when you're in that situation, it's very tough for victims, true victims of sexual assault to actually come forward. We have to create an environment in which they'll be believed. And if you don't contribute to that credibility by telling only truths, then you're hurting the movement. Yeah. Did uh, Rusty Hardin, who's the attorney for Deshaun Watson,
1: hurt his clients cause by saying any allegation that Deshaun forced a woman to
4: commit a sexual act is completely false. No, I don't okay. think that, I mean, if that's Deshaun's stance, then he's got to, he's got to make it right. He's got to take it because this is being litigated right now in the court of public opinion. And I always like to see exactly what the words in the complaint say. And even though it's been reported that in two, let's say the most of the complaints say that he maneuvered himself in a way so that his penis touched the person's hand. That's most of these lawsuits. There's two lawsuits in which they claim that there was oral sex. The media has reported it as to say he forced oral sex. I'm going to say when I read that complaint, it does not say that. It implies it, but it does not say that he forced oral any woman to give him oral sex. It does not say that. And if I was the attorney representing the person and there was forced oral sex, I would state it. So, um, yeah, I, I don't think, I don't think he's hurt his client's credibility because that's got to be the stand he takes. And he's got to, he's got to do it in the court of public opinion. Cause that's where this
0: is being litigated right now.
1: Serious stuff to get to on the way back, but also some lighter stuff, including if we're all down with cinnamon toast, crunch shrimp flavor.
0: Call Battle Born Injury Lawyers, 702-570-9000 with your questions today.
2: All I can tell you is, you know, I've known Deshaun since the ninth grade. uh, He's been nothing but exemplary in every area that I've ever known him in. Three years here as a player, I think I had a chance to yell at him one time. Uh, He was five minutes late to a team meeting that he overslept for. That's it. That's the Deshaun I know. And uh, I can only, uh, you know, base my uh, thoughts on, on my experiences with him uh which have been wonderful and uh, again i love him like a son we'll, we'll just have to see where everything else goes from
0: there it's time for espn las vegas legal insider justin watkins to present the facts only on espn las vegas
1: Dabo sweeney on um, he wasn't really asked about, he was asked about the allegations and then kind of hemmed and, hawed and we trimmed that down a bit because it was like a ninety second statement, uh, really saying nothing. Candy, are you mad at Dabo? Are we? Uh,
2: are we of the belief that you should just? Hey, you
1: know what? Hashtag believe women. Let's go back the women. Come on.
2: I mean, I kind of live in a perpetual state of upset at Dabo, but you know, if we're talking about this situation specifically, yeah, it, it it bugs me that the initial reaction, that the first thing that so many in the world of sports do when these things happen is to go into that defensive mode and say, well, the guy I know would never do that. I mean, the guy I know this, 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 this. Fine, okay, you know what? He's your friend, you wanna defend him. He's your former player, you wanna defend him. But we put the entire thing immediately on the footing of this couldn't have happened. And I think Justin did a fantastic job in the last few minutes of breaking down the potential struggles of what's been put out there thus far. But why would it be so difficult to give a more equivocating, a more, well, allegations are serious, they should be listened to, you know, blah, 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 even that much of a qualifier in these statements? Because it feels to me like that's part of what makes it so difficult to make the uphill climb for people who want to bring these sort of allegations forward is knowing that they're going to be put on this footing right from the beginning.
4: Yeah, I mean, I have a it's hard to disagree with what Adam just said, but I would just say that when the media constantly goes to friends and family and coaches, I, I don't know what, I don't know if there's a person we're supposed to be going to. Like, of, of course, Dabo Sweeney doesn't know Deshaun Watson to be a sexual abuser. Or if he did, he's certainly not going to say he did. Right? I mean, so I don't, I don't know why we're going there, to be honest with you. Are we trying to? get character evidence one way or the other, none of none of that's really going to come into play. The reality is, is if these allegations are true, probably very few people in the world knew that side of Desha- Deshaun Watson, you know, because I'm sure he kept it hidden. Um, so I, I don't even, I, I give these coaches and, and players somewhat of a break on that because they're not, they're not there to talk about that they have no idea they, how are they going to know if these these allegations are true or false um because they haven't been presented with that person most likely
2: no i think that's fair uh, because like you said who would actually know about that and be willing to associate with the person uh you know publicly privately you know whatever the case might be I think we also put ourselves in a spot though where like you said if these allegations in some way came out to be true then Wouldn't a guy like Dabo or someone else who's a, you know, a supposed character witness for the media in these spots be better off just taking a pass on these questions entirely? Like, is there some sort of standard out there that you've got to jump to the person's defense?
4: Yeah, no, I agree with you there. I mean, of course, always I'm going to say when dealing with legal matters, it's better to to reserve yourself to no comment and let your attorney speak on your behalf. And and I think the same applies. There's nothing that Davo Sweeney can say that's going to help Deshaun Watson at this point, really. Um, and there's probably some things he can say that could hurt him. So best just to keep his mouth shut.
1: Last one on this, and we'll, we'll have a lot more on the Deshaun Watson deal on all sides uh, tomorrow on our uh, Law and Sporter podcast mm-hmm. that we do live on Twitter and Facebook and YouTube. That's at 9 o'clock on Thursdays. I wonder what happens if the NFL steps in and tries to legislate morality in this case. Aren't they in a weird position with Deshaun Watson and Robert Kraft?
4: Oh, I mean, let's face it. They have already put themselves in the position where they do attempt to legislate morality. Uh And I'm just thinking off the top of my head, and I'm sure there's a dozen more examples, uh, but Antonio Brown... And Ben Roethlisberger are the what I'd say the more extreme ends of allegations of sexual assault um, as compared to what I read in the complaint. I don't know what happened. I just want to be clear about that. I don't know what happened and what happened could be more severe than what was alleged against Antonio Brown or Ben Roethlisberger. But the allegations in paper in the lawsuit against Antonio Brown uh, were I think more egregious and what were in the allegations against Ben Roethlisberger, which was, you know, Ben Roethlisberger was accused of rape. Um, and, and well, I'll, I'll say this, if it comes out that Deshaun Watson did force oral sex on these two women, then that is rape as well. Um, so I, I, but that's not what the lawsuit said. I just want to be clear about that. Uh, but yeah, the NFL is going to have to do something. They've set the precedent that they're going to go ahead and, and be the morality police on this. My stance on this has been consistent the whole time, which is absent criminal allegations that are physical in nature and could potentially pose a threat to the other team members or staff. Um, in which case I would put somebody on, um, on leave of absence, then I wouldn't do anything until law enforcement does something. Uh, It's not for me to get involved in. I don't have the resources that law enforcement does to investigate whether crimes occurred or not. Um, And there is a, a venue for that. And that's not the NFL, but they they're way too deep into it now to not look into this stuff.
1: we got about two minutes left. This is a very serious case and this may take up 45 minutes on the podcast. Cinnamon Toast Crunch, the shrimp flavor. Yeah. Cinnamon okay, well, Toast
4: crunch is my favorite cereal too. Ah, oh, does it ruin it forever? Yeah, I think it does. I feel
1: like in the past I had a uh, I had a bug in a box of uh, chicken and a biscuit and it ruined it for me forever. Yeah. Um okay, apparently the defense may be here that uh, these were clumps of sugar and not shrimp tails. <laughs> Come on. There's no way. Is there is there some legal action here like are they are you protected when something weird pops up? We can go back to the, the the Wendy. It turned out to be a f- complete fraud, but the Wendy's chili lady yeah. who planted a finger in a, a little cup of Wendy's chili. So, what sort of protection do we have as a consumer against shrimp tails popping up in our cereal? Do we have to
4: actually eat it? Choke? Like, do we have? To, w- w- can we get anything out of this? <laughs> so, you want compensation for opening up and seeing that there's something in there, but not actually ingesting it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> mental, anguish, mental
1: anguish no and you've ruined cinnamon toast okay. crunch cereal forever for me
4: <laughs> so if you if you want a legal actual breakdown of that of the mental anguish that's associated with <laughs> opening that up there has to be there there has to be an anchor to it that is physical in nature so if you opened it up and a live bug popped out and you had a heart attack oh okay something physical happened to you but if it's just like man, I feel really crappy about cinnamon toast crunch now and I don't, I don't want to eat it anymore. That's not sufficient under the circumstances. You can have that as evidence, but you have to start with a physical manifestation of your injury.
2: So Justin, I don't really understand. Are you, are you just like the people who wouldn't try new Coke when new Coke came out? Like you won't try shrimp cinnamon toast crunch.
4: <laughs> I will not try shrimp tail. I- Cinnamon toast crunch. If it was actually oh, you were, burpees okay. in there, maybe I'd be in. But I don't want I don't <laughs> want the tails.
2: Oh, okay. All right. I just want to make sure that if we get you like some nice jumbo shrimp cinnamon toast crunch, you might give it a shot.
4: Yeah, just I want it detailed. All right. Okay. Sure. On we're the
1: on, uh, on the da- the damage done, I got some uh some Mexican food about a week ago and <laughs> okay. there was some
2: shredded careful.
1: What? There was some <laughs> shredded beef in there, some berea? I don't know how you say it, right? Um and and I started to bite down, and, and I'm like, okay, that's a bone. And the bone was like, uh, you can't see my fingers in the audience, but it was probably three inches long. I need to, like, pierce my cheek on that or just jab it into my my gums.
4: You're saying could, could you sue just for the fact that there was a bone in there? It was very distressing. Without- I,
1: don't, I don't know that I'm going to that restaurant again, and I don't know
4: that I'm going to try that sort of uh, Mexican meal again. I'm gonna am I'm gonna tell you. In order to have what I would consider a viable claim, <laughs> anybody can sue anybody for anything. You can go for it, but in order to have a viable claim, you're gonna have to have a physical manifestation of that. Uh, that's a cracked tooth, a cut lip, oh. um, you know, something like that. Uh, you know, cut your tongue. There's there's got to be something. How would they, how that would they know on
1: the cracked teeth? Could they could they yeah, tell go to the, the dentist? Could they tell the age of the crack? <laughs> I don't.
4: Know I've got dentist. broken teeth all over the place. I'd be like, <laughs> yeah, that's from the bone, I and mean, like it was really like two years ago. I i'm i'm really having to distance myself from you on this show where we're we're manufacturing claims because that's <laughs> not what i do Me? yeah yeah more, you it's
1: more adam hill
4: <laughs> you're like i've got cracked teeth already how do i make that go online i wasn't
1: i'm not going i wasn't I'm looking just, to get money from a restaurant i don't do that i realize that sometimes you know in the cooking process you know there are going to be bones with meat you know it happened actually it was funny i think two out of three meals that i had uh ordered some takeout. I think it was beef with a bone and then there was a chicken with some sort of little bone in it, but that happens.
4: Yeah, that happens. Like I, I had, they're really cooking it. I had uh, like one of the best pieces of fish I've ever had right next door over here. That right. And uh, yeah, of course it had some, they warned me beforehand. It still has some bones in there. Be careful. But uh, yeah, that's, that's good. And, gonna and happen. yes,
1: audience, I, I'm, I will, I will attest to the fact that we are just drumming up angles on cases Justin is not looking to, uh, you know, reinvent the wheel and come up with all these phony bullcrap angles.
4: I'm not admonishing you. I'm just saying I I'm the one who has to answer the state bar for the I things I say. So I'm just distancing myself from your comments. That's all. Ari heavily edit this spot
1: just about every week. We'll use your judgment. That said, I think Justin screwed. Ari, please use your judgment. We trust you. We trust you. Five seven zero nine thousand is a number. Five seven zero nine zero zero zero. Good spot. Studio is looking good. We got the uh, soundproofing up, the curtains, the lights. We'll start running some more video from here. Your beautiful logos that you've now got all over town. Did,
4: did you design these yourself? Oh, I mean, I didn't draw it up myself. But the the ideas behind it were mine. Yeah,
1: very nice, very nice. I thought you I thought you drew them up yourself.
4: No. <laughs> no, no, you know.
1: no you got a professional to do it right doing it the right way all right we come back in about well we're not gonna be back in about 15 minutes but in 15 minutes caleb herring the former unlv quarterback will check in on uh rebel football practice is gonna start pretty soon i bet you he's mad i bet you he's mad that alzenberger left town
0: he's mad call Battleborne injury lawyers 702-570-9000 with your questions today